So in this time, especially coming up on the 4th of July, we think about our country. We think about our, our country's founding. We think about the freedoms that we have. But we also, as Christians, often look out and we think about all of the wickedness in our country. All of the, the prevalent sin in our country. But this morning, I'm not going to talk about the sin in our country because when you look at the worldliness in the church and the worldliness in the world, you find no difference. The statistics tell us that clearly. When you look at the church and you look at the culture around the church, you find that there's, there's no difference. And in American Christianity, we find that the problem is that, that we are told, you just say a prayer and you're saved. The end. Right? The ABCs of being a Christian. Admit, believe, confess, and then that's it. Especially here in, in the South. Uh, we all know that, right? That's what, people walk an aisle and they, they get saved and that, that's the end of the journey. And we applaud ourselves. We give ourselves a pat on the back. We have done our job. We got another one saved. But we don't ever take it anywhere from there. The problem with American Christianity in many cases is it's based on more cliches and the culture around us than it is upon the Bible. And here's what the Bible says that the church is supposed to look like. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race, speaking of the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy people, a holy nation. Church, we're to be holy, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church. Where we go off the tracks is we say, well, it's all about making, people making professions of faith. But then after that, they can live how they want to. But praise God, they made a profession of faith. They were baptized. And so, it's no surprise that when we look at the church, it looks the same as the world. Because we've forgotten that salvation means that we are transformed and made into the image of Christ. We are a holy people. The author of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians who are on the verge of falling away. They're considering, perhaps, turning back to Judaism. Turning away from Christ. And he writes warning them the danger of being hardened by sin and falling away. And in the, in the passage we're about to read and look at this morning, he warns these Christians about what it means if they do not grow in their Christianity. What it means if they were to sit stagnant. And so, as we look at this passage, the main thing we're going to see is we cannot stay babies in Christ forever. We must grow up. We can't stay babies in Christ forever. We must grow up. So if you would join with me as we read Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. And please stand with me if you're able as we honor the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 
about this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment." Father in heaven, as we behold Your Word, I pray, Lord, that we would receive Your Word as coming from You. Lord, that You would shock us out of the fog that we're in. Lord, that You would help us to see that the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that means, Lord, that You will save us from our sin, that You'll transform us. So God, I pray that we would all see that we must grow in the faith. And not just because a preacher told us that we should, but Lord, because You told us that we should. Lord, I pray that we would receive Your words this morning as we receive You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you so much. This passage has three parts to it. It starts with a rebuke. Then it gives us the results. And then finally, He gives us a request. Not really a request, more a command, but a command doesn't start with R. So, the three R's of this passage. And the first is a rebuke. A rebuke. Notice what He says. About this, we have much to say. So He's saying, He's talking about the, the priesthood of Jesus, how Jesus is a high priest and He is about to go. And in the rest of the book, really, He expounds this more and more. But He stops as He, as he begins to tell them about how Jesus is the high priest and all that that means. He says, we've got a lot to say about this, but you're not ready to hear it. But you're not ready to hear it. Notice what He says there. He says, since you have become dull of hearing. Now that word dull means lazy or sluggish. He's describing someone who is becoming sluggish in their hearing of God's Word. In Hebrews 2, verse 1, this is what he says there. He says, therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift from it. And this theme permeates the book of Hebrews. The fact that we've got to pay attention. We have to listen to. We have to hear God's Word so that we don't drift away. So that we don't become hardened and fall away. And so the, the point here is he's telling them, we've got a lot of things that we want to explain to you. We have a lot of things from God's Word that are deep, that are the meat of God's Word, but we can't give it to you yet because you have become sluggish in your hearing. You've become hardened in your heart. So he rebukes them for it. 
And he says ultimately that being dull of hearing or failing to grow, as we'll see, will ultimately cause a person to drift away. But what does he mean by dull of hearing? Does he just mean they're not listening? You know, are they just not listening when, when God's Word is taught? Are they just not reading His Word? What does that mean? Well, he gives us an illustration in the next part there. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. This time you ought to be teachers, but you still need to be taught. You still need to be taught. You know, I, I can't think of, of any better test of someone's growth in whatever area it is than their ability to teach it. For example, and, and we have a lot of educators in the church. For example, when you begin to teach children, you have to be pretty proficient at what you're teaching before you teach it to others. Unless you're a math teacher, then you just, who can be proficient in math? But you have to have some proficiency in what you're teaching. And so that's what he's writing to him. He's saying, a good test for you Hebrew people that I'm writing to, a good test for you is, are you able to teach the things that you know? And the answer for them was simply no. They were not able to teach, and so they were dull in hearing. They have not grown enough to be able to teach it. And that's the same question that I put before you. Are you able to teach the things that you know about the Christian faith? Are you able to bring someone alongside you and teach them how to walk with Christ? And I'm not, I'm not talking to our guests here or people who've been a Christian for a short time. I'm talking mainly Christians who've been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years. People who maybe have been at this church for that long. Are you able to teach other people? Are you able to make disciples of other people? Because that is a test to your growth. The second thing that he says is an illustration. He says, milk, you need milk, not solid food. Immature and non-growing Christians need milk. They need milk. He tells us later that that milk is the, the basic principles of the oracles of God. In other words, we can't go too deep because he's saying some of you are still children in the faith when you ought to be adults in the faith. You still need milk. You still need the basics before we ever go on to maturity. You know, when I, when I think about that, I, I think about how a baby yearns for grown-up food. And, and a lot of you maybe have, have been here in the past, you know, at first a baby will either nurse or take a bottle and that's all that he wants. But there's going to come a point in an infant's growth when they're going to see mom and dad eating things that they don't have and they're going to want the things that mom and dad have. And they're going to whine and they're going to beg until they get it. They, by their nature, start yearning for adult food. They start yearning for something more. They are growing up with respect to their appetite. They are maturing with what they are eating. And they'll do whatever it takes. They'll do whatever it takes to eat solid food. Christian, I want you to take a minute to examine your life. 
I want you to take a minute to examine your life. Are you growing and yearning for more and more of Christ? Are you like an infant who is begging and whining until you get more and more of Him? Or are you just content with being stagnant in your faith? Are you content with the status quo saying, here I am, I've walked an aisle, I sit on a pew once a week, and that's all I need? That is all I need. But why is this so important? Why is it so important for us to examine ourselves and to ask that question? It's important because salvation is by faith alone in Christ. Okay, we, I think we, we understand that. We don't earn our way in. We don't work our way into God's favor. We simply cling to Christ and He gives His righteousness to us. He lived a life that we could not live and He died a death that we deserve. And when we cling to Him, we have His righteousness before God. But, this is why it's important, salvation is always followed by repentance. It's always followed by transformation. In other words, salvation, although it's by faith alone, that faith never comes alone. It always comes with repentance. And that's why all throughout the New Testament, when they ask, what must I do to be saved? They always say, what? Repent and believe. In other words, we are being transformed and when salvation comes to us, it's followed by a hatred of sin. When salvation comes upon us, it's, it's followed by a desire to follow Christ. When salvation comes on us, it is followed by a pursuit of holiness. When salvation comes to us, it is followed by a desire not to be like the world, but to be like Christ. Salvation is followed by transformation. It's followed by growth. It does not end when you pray a sinner's prayer and say amen and then think you can go and sit the rest of your life and live it however you want. No, Christ will make us holy or we are not His. But it's also important because we're in this thing together. So, as a church, that means one person's growth or one person's lack of growth affects the whole body. That means that our church will never move forward in its mission. And I say this as prophetically as I can, and I want you to hear me. It is my heart that our church advance forward in the mission, but I'm telling you, we will never do that. We will never move forward in the mission until we as individuals devote ourselves to growth. A church cannot be on mission when its members are not growing in the Lord. You can't have a half-hearted church engage wholeheartedly in the mission. We must be growing. And listen, if we care more about numbers if we care more about how many people we can get in this church, if we care more about meeting our budget than we do about growth and discipleship and maturity, we are a business, not a church. Church, we need to grow. 
We need to grow. I want you to hear it from a pastor's heart. I'm not trying to throw rocks at anybody here. I'm just simply telling you, we've got to grow. We can't be a church made up of people who just sit on a pew week after week. We've got to be a church of people who are growing in their holiness and growing in the Lord. Because church, that is what Christ tells us. To go and make what? Disciples. We are not going to go and make disciples if we're not being made disciples ourselves. He tells us of His rebuke. But then He tells us of the result. The result. He first gives the result of spiritual immaturity. Look at what He says in verse 13. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He says everyone who drinks that milk, everyone who's not growing, everyone who's spiritually immature is unskilled. That means pertaining to a lack of knowledge or a capacity to do something. That word was used throughout the Old Testament to, de- to describe something that is without trial, something that is without experience, something that is untested, unused to, or unacquainted with. What does he say that these people are unskilled in? The word of righteousness. The word of righteousness. And I think this this word of righteousness is the entirety of God's word. It's what God has revealed to us to live by and to obey. The word that he gives us to transform us. But I, I want you to notice that it's not just... This is not just a person that doesn't know something. He's not just describing a lack of knowledge, but he's describing a lack of obedience. You see, the problem with the Christians that he's writing to is not that they just don't know. It's not just that they don't know about a certain doctrine or or a certain teaching. No, the problem is they're not living it out. They're not obeying. They're unacquainted with it. They are unskilled in it. They are unpracticed with it. He says that they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. But why is this so bad? Who cares if they're unskilled? Well, it... It becomes really relevant to us when we see Hebrews chapter 10 when he describes the end of the result of these people. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 to 31 says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know, listen, we know the one who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord will judge His people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. 
the end result of what he's describing here. This lack of growth, this maintaining of the status quo ultimately leads to people falling away. Now you, you can say, did they lose their salvation or were they never saved to begin with? I mean, I would say they were probably never saved to begin with, but the end result is the same. They're not saved. They think themselves alright before God because they pray to prayer and they get before Him and they face His wrath. And, and it gets even worse. In Matthew chapter 7, hear the words of our Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is scary. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do many mighty works in Your name? Lord, Lord, didn't we walk down an aisle? Lord, Lord, weren't we baptized? Lord, Lord, didn't we go to church on Sunday? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is serious because the end result of immaturity, the end result of not growing and saying, I'm going to sit here for 30, 40, 50 years, is we find at the end we are not saved. Many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord. People call him Lord, but yet they don't know him. Notice he says, since he is a child. He's calling these people children. When you think about it, as soon as a child is born, the first milestone that the doctors want to see is, will the baby regain his original birth weight? You see, birth is traumatic. Very traumatic. And not just for the baby, but for the mother. But the baby loses weight as soon as the baby enters into the world. And so the first thing they want to see is, is this baby growing? And then after he regains his birth weight, is he staying on track with his growth? Why are doctors so concerned about this? Because doctors know something. That if a baby stops growing, the baby will die. If a baby stops growing, he will die. That's why it's so important that babies have nutrients that babies are taken care of and fed because without that, they will stop growing and they will ultimately die. And I want to submit to you in the same way, there is no holding the status quo in the Christian faith. We are either growing from what we see in this passage, we're either growing or we're declining. We're either becoming more and more holy or we're becoming more and more worldly. There is no, I'm just going to hold my own and be here with Jesus and keep the status quo. He changes now and gives the result of not, not just spiritual immaturity, but now He gives us the result of spiritual maturity. He says solid food in verse 14 is for the mature. Solid food is for the mature. And he says two things about the mature person. The one who is growing. He says, first of all, that his powers of discernment are trained. His powers are, of discernment are trained. And notice it says, by constant practice. 
Literally, that could be translated because of habit. Because of habit. In other words, his powers of discernment are trained because he's constantly using them. He's constantly attempting to grow. As a Christian matures, he uses more and more discernment and wisdom from God's Word to obey. You know, I, I, when I was younger, and still to an extent today, I hate cleaning up after myself. I hate cleaning up after myself. In fact, when I was in college, people would tell me, you've got to clean this dorm room. It's horrible. It's horrible. I hate to do it, but you know, as I grew into adulthood, I started doing it more and more, especially after I got married. Thank you. I was hoping somebody was going to get that. Especially after I got married, and then all of a sudden, I started putting it into practice a lot more. Still not as much as I probably should, but I put it into practice more and more. And you know, something happened to me. As I did this thing that was not necessarily pleasant, was not necessarily comfortable, I realized that I started to hate it less and less. In fact, as I grew more into adulthood, I, I realized that there are times where the filth around me is so much that I've just, I've, I just go after it. And I'm like, what has happened to me? That I, that I am this way. And you know, it's because of constant doing it. It's because of constantly doing the thing that's uncomfortable. I've grown in this area into maturity, into adulthood. Now, Brittany is going to tell you as soon as the service is over that I haven't grown enough. But some progress is better than none. There is no way for a Christian in the same way. We, we, we should be putting to practice the things by habit, using our discernment, by habit, taking steps of obedience and taking steps of maturing and growing. The second thing he says about a spiritually mature person is they have the ability to discern between good and evil. Christian maturity brings about the ability to discern. And I don't know if you've realized this, but the world is not black and white, is it? There is so much gray in the world. It's not just, I'm either going to do right or I'm going to do wrong, but a lot of times we find ourselves, well, I'm going to kind of go somewhere in the middle. And in our gray world, where it's hard to see what is godly and what is not, we need the power to discern good from evil. It's not something that we get and we can check off a list, but as we grow, we find that we can discern the will of God more and more easily. And as we go through life with these gray areas, we take the principles that we learn from God's Word. Principles that we have put into practice. Principles that we have been striving, though it's uncomfortable, to obey. And to grow. And as we do that, we can take these principles and all of a sudden, it becomes clear to us, this is what needs to happen. You know, in our, in our culture, we, we ask the question, well, what is God's will? What is God's will in this area? What is God's will in that area? And we, we look for signs. We look for God to write it in the sky for us. But I would submit to you today that this is what He's describing. You want to know the will of God? 
Do you want to know which direction you should go? Grow into Christian maturity and as you grow, you will know what God's will is. As you grow into maturity, you will discern the things of God. You will discern what His will is and how to obey in the gray areas. Finally, He gives us a request. A request. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 6, Therefore, and skipping ahead a little bit, go on to maturity. That word he uses to go on to maturity means to, to cause to follow a certain course of direction or conduct. I like the way the New American Standard puts it. It says to press on. So he rebukes the people. He tells them the results of what, where they're headed. And then finally he makes a request. And it's not over until the request is made. The, re, the request, the command is, alright, now that I've told you these things, go on to maturity. Now that I've told you these things, don't shrink back, but press on. Now that I've told you these things, put these into practice. He says, uh, to do that, let us leave the elementary doctrines behind. What are the elementary doctrines? What are the basic things he's talking about? Well, for the people he's writing to, it's repentance from dead works, he says. It's faith towards God. There you have it, repentance and faith. It's instructions about washings, which probably refers to the difference between baptisms and the water purification rites that these people used to practice in Judaism. He says the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, all of these things are great. And I, you've heard me say it before, but we don't, we don't just move on from the Gospel, but we live in the Gospel every day. But that does not mean that we never learn more than the basics. We're not just gospel people that say, well, I've got the gospel and I don't have to learn anything else. No, we're gospel people who say, I have the gospel. I am loved by God. I am accepted by Him outside of my performance. Christ is everything to me. I'm clinging to Him. And now I'm going to go and grow and learn more. I'm going to be more faithful in obeying. And so the simple question that I have is, how do, you, how do we do that? How do we go on to maturity like He says? Well, I think for us today, first of all, we've got to repent. The first step is the same way that we began. We've got to repent. We have to ask for His forgiveness for not growing, for being so lackadaisical when it comes to spiritual maturity. And then, after we ask for His forgiveness, we need to ask for His help. We need to ask for His help. I don't want you to go away from this place this morning thinking that Christian maturity and Christian growth is accomplished by your power. Because it's not. It's accomplished by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The Holy Spirit who is at work powerfully in our lives. The next thing I would say as we obey this is to take the next step. You know, I, I tell people all the time, especially people who are maybe unchurched, who are new to the faith, maybe new Christians, I always tell them, you know, you just you come on Sunday morning, sit on the back row, and if you're kind of uneasy about talking to people, you have my permission to slip out as soon as we start saying the closing prayer. I tell people that, and I hope that they do that. I hope that people do come and, and, and do just that. But the problem with, with Christian maturity and Christian growth is not 
that we start there because believe it or not, that's where we all started. The problem is when we stay there. And so the way that we obey this to go on to maturity is very simple. Where we are, we take the next step of maturity in faith. That means for, for a lot of people who, who may be here every once in a while, for you that may look like you being more regular in your attendance on Sunday morning. For those of you who are regular in your attendance, that may look like you saying, you know, I, I'm going to step out and I'm going to start growing deeper in the Wednesday night Bible study. For all of us, that should mean that we take the next step to be consistent in reading God's Word on a day-to-day basis and praying on a day-to-day basis. Maybe if you're here and you're, you're here all the, all the time, you're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and you're thinking, well, where is there for me to grow? Maybe for you, you need to serve. You need to serve. There's always a step that you need to take to grow in your faith. And I can't, I wish I could, I really wish I could just stand here and say, this is what you need to do, but I can't do that. You know what the next step of growth is for you. If you're a Christian, my prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit makes it very clear to you the next baby step you need to take, the next step you need to take to grow. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is the best news of the Christian faith, what we're talking about this morning. You say, why is that? That sounds really hard. This is the best news about the Christian faith because we're not preaching to you. You start growing and then you come to Christ. But rather, we're we're proclaiming to the world, you come to Christ just as you are. You come to Christ with your mess, with your sin, and He'll take you just as you are. And then... The great news is as we trust Christ, as you cling to Him, and I pray that you'll do that this morning, as you cling to Him, you'll find that He will start transforming you. He will cause you to hate sin. He will cause you to love Him. And He will cause you to be more and more and more Christ-like. We see in this text a rebuke. He rebukes them because you can't stay a baby in Christ forever. The result, Christian maturity, helps you walk in God's will. Finally, the request, pray and take steps toward maturity. The main takeaway for you folks is this. We cannot stay babies in Christ forever. We must grow. As we respond to God's Word this morning, if you're not a Christian, for you, I would invite you to get up where you are in just a moment and and come down front and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Why come down front? Because if you are willing to follow Christ, even even now when you're saying, I I need to embrace Christ, when you're willing to say, I'm going to step out and I'm going to walk down and receive Christ, when you're willing to do that, you're willing to proclaim to the world that I am His. That means that the desire that you have to come to Christ is a genuine desire that you want to act on. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to get up from where you are, to come down, and just grab me by the hand and talk to me. It's not some super spiritual thing that's happening down here. It's just a conversation. If you have questions, come talk to me. But if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, 
Maybe if you're here this morning and you're a stagnant Christian, you're not growing, and you say, I've been doing the same thing. My Christianity to me is showing up every Sunday, and that's all that it has ever been. For you this morning, I call on you to rise up from where you are and to come and pray. And once again, you say, well, why do I have to get up out of my seat where I'm comfortable and come down and pray? Well, that's exactly it. Our bodies usually mirror what our heart is doing. And so, when, when I say I'm not going to physically move because I'm comfortable, or because I don't know what these people may think about me, then that means my heart is there as well. My heart has not changed. And so for you, I would call on you this morning to put to action with your body what is happening in your heart. And if you're here this morning and you are a growing Christian, you say, you know, I appreciate your words and, and this is encouraging. This, is, this means that we should never stop. But, you, you know, I, I'm growing. I, I'm, I feel like I'm trying to be faithful to you this morning. I call on you to pray for your brothers and sisters because we are in this together. And we cannot have half of a church who is mature and half of a church who is stagnant and immature and expect for God to bless it. We need to pray for each other and pray that God would move. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. And God, this morning I'm believing your word. I'm believing that your word is powerful. God, I'm believing Your Word has the power to take a church that has apathy and stagnancy and to bring it to vibrancy and growth and discipleship. God, I acknowledge to You that my words have no power, but God, Your words do. And so, Lord, this morning as we sing, Lord, I'm coming home, I pray that people today would say, it is a cry of my heart that I'm coming home, yes. Lord, that You would stir the hearts of, of us that we would not come before You with a false fire. That we would not come before You saying, I'm good where I am, but we would come before You and say, Lord, use me. Lord, use me to reach the nations. Lord, use me to reach the community. God, I pray that, that some lost person would come and realize that today they can be saved. Today they can have a relationship with you that they've never had before. Today they can be set free and transformed. Today their chains can be broken. Father, I believe that the gospel is the power unto salvation. And so, Lord, today, would you move powerfully in Jesus' name? Amen.